Boat Trader is America's largest boating marketplace with over 100,000 boats to choose from. We offer simple, comprehensive solutions for those looking to sell, find, and finance new or used boats. Visit BoatTrader.com to get started. Knives, machetes, saws, and shears, multi-tools, shovels, swords, axes, spears, hatchets, and tomahawks. If it cuts, snips, slices, or chops, Midway USA has it. Find great gift ideas in our huge selection of pocket knives and other everyday carry folding knives. Make a statement or create a family legacy with one of our top-of-the-line hunting knives. We've got a great selection of manual and electric sharpeners, too. For just about everything for the outdoors, check out MidwayUSA.com. Welcome to the Elk Shape Podcast with me, Dan the Fitness Man, your host. Welcome to Season 5. Here we go. This podcast is brought to you by discipline, delayed gratification, and being accountable to yourself. This podcast is about finding the high road, working hard every day, creating the best possible version of yourself. Our values are faith, family, fitness, finances, elk hunting, and career. Our guiding principles are authenticity, transparency, and out-hustling the competition. Our podcast is brought to you by Buck Knives, Onyx Hunt, Vortex Optics, Wilderness Athlete, Black Rifle Coffee Company, Crispy USA, Matthews Archery, Kufaru International, and BlackOvis.com. Hello, friends. Welcome to the Oak Shape Podcast today. We are going to sit down with none other than Mark Hayes. He is a engineer. He, in fact, he's the design engineering manager at Matthews Archery Inc. Very smart dude. Also very much tagged out during the whitetail rut. So fortunately for us, we get to pick his brain. I like sitting down with guys that are way smarter than me when it comes to engineering. That would mean physics and mathematics and science and stuff like that. And Mark's a really humble dude, but he's also wicked talented and has been tinkering and testing and as a data nerd and i just love talking to this guy i think you will too today's launch day for matthew so we'll talk about the new bows as well but we're gonna get to know mark of course he's solid people without further ado this is mark hayes and you're listening to the elk shape podcast all right guys what's up we are sitting down with the main man the manager of the managers when it comes to engineering at matthews mark hayes how are you good dan how are you guys we're good, man. We're busy. I'm on my second cup of coffee. It's probably what time is it at your in your place right now? Again. So I'm still drinking coffee too. Okay. Cool. Um we're we're gonna have you on today. Um guys, this podcast is dropping obviously because it's launch day. So my apologies, but I had to wait one extra day so that I didn't jump the gun. So yeah, today's your launch day. Today's exciting for you guys. You're you're are you doing a tour of uh media or are you back in the office, just working, what are you up to? Uh, so we definitely love to just watch, um, everything the marketing department puts together. So we'll do some movie days in the morning on launch day, but, um, we got a tight timeline too. So we're, we're back at it for new stuff and constantly grinding. We're always on a tight timeline, trying to do as much work and as accurately, but as quickly as possible. Yeah. So your role with Matthews, I know I said the manager of managers, but you do have an official title. Uh, 
Let me see if I can find it. I actually, so I don't want to embarrass you, but okay, yeah. Mark Hayes, design engineering manager at the world's greatest archery manufacturer. How did you get there, bud? Well, I got the best job ever because I get to run the team that basically supports Matt, who is obviously the owner and chief engineer. Um, he's the genius behind the entire brand, obviously, but uh, the majority of the um, products we come out with too. And so um, I get to run the team that supports him. And so we are the daily guys always working on um, the details of every project. And then uh, Matt's kind of the leader of all those ideas and the guys we bounce things off of. But I got my start. I've been here about 11 years now and I came here um, I pursued this pretty hard. I, I wrote letters to Matthew. I've been a Matthews fan since I was a kid. So since I was a teenager, I've been writing letters. I just always love this brand, love what it stands for, and love what Matt does with the money that he makes off of it. So I've um, been a huge fan of all those aspects and got the opportunity to come here as an intern in my college uh, junior year and then started right after college um, and just got to be kind of next to Matt and learn everything that he has done and why and um, now get to build and run a team that shares that same passion. I knew a little bit of your story, but it's just, it's worth noting that you, if it's meant to be, it's up to you to a degree. Obviously, God's got to have a a say in it, but um, guys listening, man, if you want, it is nice to, to work where you want to work and pursue what you want to pursue. So go do that. I think that's my takeaway with your stories. Just like manifest your own destiny, like make it happen for yourself and, um, you know, don't give up on your dreams. So let's get into elk hunting. I think you, did you hunt Utah this year? So I didn't get to go West this year. I did last year. Um, we actually had our fourth kid in September and this is my third. Of the what are you doing? Mark? In September. <laughs> Yeah, I got one. My first one was in March, but the last three, all, all three boys were end of August and beginning of September. So through is one day, their their birthday gifts are going to be definitely hunts. So we'll get to do that. One day. But man, you need to go back to some mathematics and do those calculations. <laughs> I'll figure um, it out one of these days. That's so funny. Um, well, congratulations. You know, being a dad is your number one calling, obviously, next to being a husband. How long have you been married? Uh, we've been married seven years, but together for 17. Okay. Uh, will you guys be done after four or is that to be, to be determined? Definitely to be determined. Good Lord. He's getting himself a tribe. I got respect Two for me. I'm done hundred percent. Like that's full capacity. I do know as they come out, it gets easier um, especially as the little ones get older, you got, you know, but what's the spread? What do you have? What's the ages? Oh, it's tight. It's six, four, two, zero right now. <laughs> yeah. Man, we like, uh, we like pain and we love, uh, Gina loves babies. So we are super blessed. Um, and I never realized how difficult being a father was. Um, but the benefits of knowing that is, uh, one of the biggest things, knowing that you're not capable and you got to find your um, strength and your wisdom somewhere else. 
Well said. The the fact that you're podcasting with me right now on November 9th and and you're in Sparta, Wisconsin. Um, dude, when's the next time you're in a tree? <laughs> I'm tagged out. Oh, let's hear it. it. Yeah, I killed my number one buck um, in October on our private piece. So we've only had a for a year and a half. Uh, we did a ton of work to it, logged it, um, built roads, buildings, uh, food plots. And so this was the first real year and we had a nice five-year-old, five-and-a-half-year-old buck living on ours um, all summer. Um, had a bunch of run-ins with them and finally caught up with them at the end of October, October 25th. It rained the 24th and been super hot. I don't know how it is by you guys, but it's been hot and dry and just bad, but we got a rain the 24th, rained all day. And I had not had pictures of that deer. Um, and so we, uh, I was thinking about him, like if there's any day he's going to be back, it's this day. And sure enough, he read the script. I got in, I couldn't sleep. Our youngest, uh, is not sleeping obviously. So I was up at like 3am just bright eyed and I'm like, I could be in bed bright eyed or I could be in a tree. So I got in a tree like two and a half hours before daylight, just <laughs> sitting there um in the dark and it worked out though because i didn't bump any deer going in and ended up having him just read the script he ate ate in our big food plot um i had chainsawed a tiny trail through some tops where we logged he walked that walked into our big pond that we bulldozed this summer and shot him at the road at 25 yards and man i i've never seen a deer um, die like that. Yeah, I shot everything. I got him in the lungs, uh, hard, cut his esophagus actually, the other lung, and he jumped over bankment and just slid all the way down the hill to our other logging road. Just died on the road. He was dead in less than a second. Just giant deer, um, body wise, just big nine old deer. Just it's the first time I think I've ever gone in hunting just one deer on the farm and all the cat and mouse of that it's been super fun but then uh so that's late october and there's a lot of rut still left and so i ended up getting a bonus tag the city of onalaska where i live does a metro hunt and it's like neighborhoods and you know, all this stuff but i got permission behind the mall all the mall has a swamp so literally parking in like parking lots and but dive bombing into the swamp and i killed a nice uh 10 point back there in the swamp and uh that was on sunday and it was so bad he died in a foot of water and i couldn't drag him out because it's like it's straight up and down to get in there and then it's just swamp and so we packed him out i felt my waist in water and mud like multiple times and just awesome misery of a of a cool hunt i got a picture of him a mile away a couple days before and i just had a hunch of where he was and I guess right. I, I hunt, did a hang and hunt 60 yards from where he was bedded and he came right out um, just like I had hoped. So super cool. But now I'm twiddling my thumbs. I don't know what to do. No, I don't feel sorry for you, dude. That's awesome. That's where you need to be. Which deer created more um, anticipation, stress, get this arrow executed? Because I saw your footage from the Deseret last year which I'm going to ask you about because it was inc incredible. But which deer in this year got, you know, melted some of the ice in your veins, so to speak? Yeah, um, I don't know. You know, it's been 
interesting for me lately. I've been, thankfully, I'm really thankful about this, but I've been executing really good shots very calmly. And even when I shot, the first buck was the one that, you know, uh, I was after the one I just lost sleep over. So that was the big one. Um, but honestly, I it happened so fast and I'm so, I don't know what it is, but I just like, like looking for holes in woods or like trying to find your opportunity. That's where my focus always has been. And so I don't feel like I've gotten jacked lately on the shot. It's like, it's post shot when, when your brain finally can process all that. Cause I, I, I think I black out a little bit, you know, I just go into kill mode. But then after when you're like, I heard a diaphragm pop, I heard him crash. I, you know, I saw a good arrow all that stuff like just comes flooding in and then it's just like uncontrollable. I better sit down. I'm going to fall out of the tree type stuff. And, you know, I would definitely rather have it that way. That's definitely like keep your cool, make the shot and then feel all the emotion. Um, so I've been super thankful that that has, because I know as hunters, we ebb and flow. And so I do feel like um, lately I've been good. So I've been trying to stay on that, trying to shoot a lot and just be always constantly not take that for granted. But these last few animals I've killed, I've, I've shot really well. Well, the buck that's laying in a foot of water, so you couldn't drag him out. How did you break him down in water and stuff? Like, like what did you end up doing there? So there's just tiny little high spots in there. And so I just drug him to the, it's a, it's like half a deer size little high spot that I got him up on and I just quartered him, did half quarter and then flipped on top of that. And I just, I had one, Kuyu makes like an XXL game bag. I carry that and I just laid that out in the grass and that's big enough to kind of just like stay above the water. And so I was just putting meat on that and I found a tiny little scraggly tree I was able to hang a quarter on and so we make it, ha- we make it work for, I I've never, honestly, they've never packed out a white tail, never had to. Um, so that was a, a new thing, but, um, I'm glad I shot him pretty well too. Um, because there's no tracking in that stuff. I mean, it is high grasses and stuff, but it's water. So it's really, you gotta, you gotta put a good shot on them and stuff like that. Mm. I've never killed a swamp buck. I think that's so cool. I really do, man. Um, let's get into elk from last year. So I've seen the footage. <clears throat> I call it the Deseret Zoo out of pure jealousy, pure jealousy. I've tried to leverage with your coworkers, like uh, a sponsorship contract that gets me a tag there. Um, I'm joking, but I do know I have had some good friends hunt there. It's a pretty incredible place. Uh, was that your first go at elk out there? Yeah, and I want to say that up front. I'm not an elk hunter. I've never hunted elk, and that was my first experience. And I know, I know what that place is. I know that it's not real life, but um, as long as you have that perspective, I feel like I got just such an awesome, like, hunt 101 elk experience because, you know, they're so strict on age class there that what that leads to is just a bunch of really cool encounters with elk. Um, that you can't get otherwise obviously i felt like i had 20 different you know experiences with elk in that short week of a hunt and super thankful for that um and you know we were there for a purpose we were there obviously to test product and get it on film and all that stuff and so um i love that team atmosphere i had an awesome photographer joe sir out of iowa he's just 
he's an elk guy and killer and gets it, you know, and uh, I know how you, you know how it is to have a camera with you, but it could be a benefit or a detriment and it's all kind of based on communication. So, but place is amazing. I mean, you literally all the stories you hear are true. You get out of that truck and they're bugling in the dark and just everywhere. So, <laughs> well, let's fast forward to the moment of truth. Um, what kind of shot opportunity was it? Take us through your sequence. Um, I know it wasn't a close shot, but it was, uh, it looked to be a perfect, perfect shot. <laughs> oh, thank you. Yeah. So that's actually the seventh bull I was on at full draw on. And the other ones were either camera couldn't get on them or, um, we were making a game time decision on the age class of the bull or so- something happened. So I had more opportunities than I deserved, obviously. And so in that se- that seventh one, when we turned around, like that's the bull we wanted to kill. Um, we had to make a really aggressive play on them across an opening. And uh, we got, we got lucky or we played it right. I don't know, but uh, my guy at Hiram was just, he's a killer too in his own right. And so, um, we just had a really good team and we crossed that opening, got to a little Aspen thing and he ripped a bugle and it's just so perfect because like he was, he was, he could hear another bull close to him and we snuck in close enough into that bubble that when Hiram ripped that bugle at him, he was mad and, um, he had his cows up the hill from us. And so he was pushing them up, but he just couldn't resist taking a look. And so it was happening fast. I was only catching glimpses and I was just ranging everything I could. And yes. so I ranged. There's like, you can see it in the video. There's a dark patch of grass and I ranged that at 45 and, um, and he started coming out behind it. So in my head, I'm like 50. Um, but if you look really close, if you slow it down, there's an aspen tree behind him. Um, when I shoot him, his antlers actually hit that aspen tree, which is like quite a bit further. So if I had to guess, I think he was like 55 to 60, somewhere in there. I shot him for 50, but I gave myself some a little bit of room. And man, I'm glad I did because I did hit him awesome. But like any lower, I was in trouble. Um, it was right above his elbow. And, you know, in that tall grass it's hard. You don't, you, all you can see is neck and back. And for me, I've shot a white tail like that before. For me, whenever I see that, the neck is deceivingly forward of where the crease is, you know? And so like when you're tracing that down and figuring out where to aim, um, I always tend to shade towards the shoulder in that situation. And I did that there too, but I did give myself just a little bit of, you know, I've learned, I, I get the opportunity to work with a lot, a lot of great killers you know and just like i've learned from them that elk especially a high long shot is you know kind of where you want to be usually and so i did give myself a little bit of room thank goodness i did because i did i slipped it right through that you know v between the the elbow and the uh, shoulder plate and um it ended up being perfect he he didn't know what happened he mule kicked came running down and he about ran us over um my guy ripped a bugle right in his face at like four yards and he, he backpedaled and just fell in front of us. It was the most intense, you know, a couple seconds of my life, but I think really it all came together and the footage was so perfect and the shot was awesome. And we worked our tail off 
um, to get in that situation. So it was, it was a super cool hunt and very thankful for the opportunity. I know that's not a normal opportunity. So I took it seriously and I, I'm glad it turned out the way that it did. No, I'm super stoked for you, man. Um, did you do anything different to your setup or to your, um, arrow specs for the elk or did you just kind of run your normal deal? So, I mean, to say that I just kept my normal deal, is does not tell the whole story. Um, but that is the answer. I took, I just took my regular arrow setup. However, um, we are obviously data nuts and we do a ton of testing here for fun and for work. And, um, I'm just really confident in the setup that I have, and I know it's unconventional. Uh, I know that for sure, but um, every test I've ever run out of our bows, it's um, it's a deadly combo, and I, I have to tell you, it's so it's a light setup is what I'm getting at. But I have to tell you, if I didn't have that light setup, it's those situations where, like, I'm guessing 50, but he's actually 55. And if I had any heavier of an arrow, I'm hitting that thing in the, in the elbow. And so it's, it's that trade-off. I know everyone has their own trade-off, but I have enough energy at 28 inches to shoot that arrow uh, pretty effectively. And I shoot it about 300 feet per second, which is a really good speed for me. And uh, it gets me out of jams when stuff is happening fast. You know how quickly it can happen. Is 300 feet a second for people that aren't engineers like myself, is that too fast for us to tune uh, a fixed broadhead or, cause like for me, like I usually come in at 280 to 285. Yeah. And I've really had, especially since I've been with Matthews, I've had no problems getting broadheads tuned like in seconds, just seriously. Like I'm not doing, if I do a top hat, which guys I'm just manipulating camling, it's in the very beginning, I never do it again. It's like a one and done. Um, and then when it's time for a fixed broadhead, there might be like a teeny tiny fractional adjustment, like, and it's usually, uh, maybe vertically like lowering or, or raising the rest. Um, and that's just that long distance broadhead flight. But, um, other than that, have you had any issues, you know, going that fast, assuming you're used a fixed broadhead? Maybe you didn't, I don't know. Here at Oakshape, we're very picky on who we decide to partner with. We take our brand very serious. And if we have a partner, we want to brag about them because we believe in them. Numa Outdoors, that's the clothing we wear. Discount code Elkshape20 will take 20% off your first order. Vortex Optics, Vortex Nation, proud partner since 2010. On X Hunt, become an elite member. This is the most reliable app for hunting on the market. Discount code Elkshape takes 20% off your elite membership. Buck Knives out of Post Falls, Idaho. They've been in business since 1902. Matthews Archery, a brand that not only has the same shared values, but continues to push technology and making the best bows on planet Earth. MagView, this is the digiscoping solution that simplifies the entire process. Discount code Elkshape takes 10% off. Wilderness Athlete, this brand makes supplements, does not specialize in marketing. They specialize in making you better and recover and being healthier. Discount code Elkshape22 will take 30% off your first purchase. Spy Point Trail Cameras, Trail Camology. Trail Cams are an extremely useful tool to help you scout, figure out game densities, and understand animal behavior. And they make very reliable trail cameras that you can count on. Kafaru International, the hoodlum is my all-time favorite backpack for elk hunting. I don't even know how many elk I've packed out with that pack, but I always can count on it. The frame is in a league of its own, and Aaron Snyder is running a phenomenal company that we believe in. Crispy Boots, Crispy USA, Crispy Hunting. These boots are the best bang for your buck. Minimal break-in period. Lots of flex ratings to suit your style and terrain that you hunt in. Check out a Crispy dealer near you. 
Baku e-bikes out of Ogden, Utah. E-bikes made for hunters, by hunters. Use them where legal. It's efficient, quiet, and exhaust-free way to get in and get out of your tree stand or your hunting location. Black Rifle Coffee Company. Coffee is life. And this is a veteran-owned Pro 2A company. Discount code Elkshape takes 15% off. BlackOvis.com is where I do all my shopping, and I use my own discount code, which is Elkshape. It takes 10% off. Fast and free shipping, a vast variety, and great customer service. Sheep feet, orthotics for the hunter. Put these in your boot and elevate your game. Leak less energy, prevent injury, and hunt more efficiently. Discount code ElkShape takes 10% off. TheElkCollective.com, digital elk hunting, education, video driven. Enter the discount code ElkShape Podcast, all one word, to save a few bucks and get to learning. Fatty meat sticks from Smokewood. These are my go-to snacks when hunting. Protein and fat, great energy sources. Super convenient, delicious. You can find them at any convenience store near you. Marsupial out of Arizona. They make the best vinyl packs, period, handcrafted here in the USA, and we stand behind them no is the answer but the real answer is it comes down to your fletching so fletchings um fletching height specifically is more important than anything way more important than surface area and so any fixed blade like a blazer is a great vein because it's tall and what happens on any moving object through air you know I don't know if I have, but any you have a boundary layer so like the air will hit it and spread and you actually have low velocity air here and actual velocity up here. And so as it goes over this thing, it might collapse a couple of times, but really your high speed air is off the shaft. It's not on the shaft, it's high. And so to capture that steering speed, you need a high vein. And so like a blazer, or I shoot a max stealth, anything about that half inch, that's gonna do way more for you than surface area. I've, I've played around with, like a six fletch mini PM16 from AAE or something like that. And it's awesome for 3D and stuff, but it's not good with a fixed blade broadhead. You have got to get up out of that boundary layer into that high speed air to steer that. And so I shoot a, like it's a two-ish degree left helical on my AAE Max Stealth. And um, I can fly anything. I actually have, you remember the old Thunderheads? Yeah. Uh, I keep a couple of those around because they're crooked and they're terribly big. And that's my like go-to to test an arrow setup. Like shoot a crooked thunderhead and make sure that your veins are good enough because you know it I always like to set up my arrows like anything could happen. You know, like a good enough arrow will fix a tear in the heat of the moment. You never want to go into a hunt with a bad tuned bow, but if something were to happen ever like a, a blade deployed on your mechanical midway or something happened, you need enough vein to, to correct all that stuff. So a three fletch AAE stealth has been always my go-to. Every time I do fletching testing, I always go back to that. Um, I've had great success with the tack veins that the 2.75 driver, those are awesome too. It's similar to the stealth, but it's that height. And I like that size. I don't know why I think it lays better on the, on the jig for the bits. Um, that I use, but anything in that realm, um, you know, I like the stealth and the driver because they're quieter than a blazer, but a blazer is going to do exactly the same steering. Okay. Find it. I'm trying to stay out of this rabbit hole, but I'm like kind of an arrow tinkerer myself. So I am running hybrid. I'm not hybrids, but Max Stealth. I am. I backed off my helical. I was using a, a jig that got it like five or six degrees, and I've been using that for a long time, and it's been steering broadheads pretty darn awesome mark but i wanted to back off 
um, and make it take me a lot longer to do my own arrows because the bits is just, I only have three bits and bergs. I have, that's probably more than most people, but that's as many arrows I can do at a time. Uh, my testing, I always come back to max stealth. This last year I ran max hunters. Um, I do think they steer even better, but they are considerably louder. And I was, I was picking up and I was like, I don't like that, but I, I stuck with it cause I didn't want to change in the middle of the season. Um, but as soon as I got home, I started batching new arrows and I backed off the helical down to two. I do also go to the left and the other couple of options I wouldn't mind you chit chatting about actually three things. One, I like the, uh, HPs from max, um, from AEE. Those are similar to a blazer. I want to know if you've tested those. I want to know about hybrid 26s, 23s, if you've messed with those compared to the Max Stealth. And lastly, and this is the biggest one, <sighs> I was seeing significant parachuting on film when I go to tack. And I'm the guy who takes my actual hunting setup to tack. I'm not there to shoot, you know, I'm shooting the 29 usually. It's with my actual arrow, hunting arrow. And I'll see that parachute effect past 80 which doesn't bother me. The impacts are good, but to me, it seems like I'm maybe I'm losing energy that I could I could use in a follow up shot if worst case scenario I needed to. So I know that's a lot of stuff. I know we still need to talk about the bows, but I have an engineer here. I gotta pick your brain. Parachuting is a real thing. Um, I see it more on left helical than right, and I think what it is is actually the Bitsenberger itself is really difficult to get that nice middle range helical set right and it's so hard that we actually have one we got a bunch of bits but we have one that's called we wrote on it master and it's <laughs> it's set perfectly and it's glued and screwed together because it's all or nothing with that left helical on the bits it's either straight or it's five and i think that's why when people just go well, i want to try five or i want to try left helical it turns into a five really quick just because of how it lays down so it's really hard to get that right we got to one set we got a couple set right but we have one that i just do all my arrows on this one and because it's glued and screwed together if you lose a fletching super easy to put one back on you don't have to fletch the whole thing but anyway parachuting is a real thing and that definitely happens on a big vein out past 80 like you're saying you shoot a long way uh, just like all of us and you will definitely see that you're robbing energy for sure and you're you're it's more it's louder too because you're cutting more air and, and you don't need it. All you need to do, the most important thing is to get that arrow spinning as quickly as possible out of the bow. And that's why the left helical works. And then just sustain that. It, it doesn't have to, the only thing it's fighting after it's out of the bow and corrected is wind. Um, or if it hits a stick or something. But that's where, you know, the length of the vein matters more in that scenario. When you, if you clip something or you get a, a crosswind, um, to correct that, you need a big vein. That's where, like, the height will steer it going straight, right? But the the length of it, when that thing turns sideways, you want a big vein that says, nope, I don't want to be there, and it straightens back out. If you have it like that on its flying, it's trying to, quote-unquote, correct, but it's just turning it into spin, and you'll get that thing spinning way too fast and just parachute out like you're seeing. And so, basically... You're two degree. You want cutting through the air on a helical on that same helical where it's not it's not doing anything. It's just cutting through that air really nice until it gets a wind kick or you hit a stick and it can correct again. And so 
Um, that's what I'd say about parachuting for sure. That's what you were seeing. And it's just too much um, helical, but I think it's because of the bits. I, I think it's just hard to get that thing to lay. Um, even though I love bits, it's just like for the left for whatever reason. Yeah, the bits is not perfect. I will say that. But now that you've mentioned it, I have one out of three jigs that's the master and I need to probably just suck it up and go slow and just stick with that. No, that's a good call. Yeah. Tell me about HPs a little bit. They got the, well, your hybrid HPs and your 23s and your 26s. I'm a huge AEE fan. Um, what are the differences? And I don't run them, but you don't either. Why? Yeah. So the hybrids, I actually run those on my 3D arrows. Um, they're softer. Um, and lighter, which I love, but um, they're not as stiff either. And so any broadhead, you got to think of a broadhead as fletching. Like you're screwing fletching on the front of your arrow. That yes. is a bad thing at all times. That is bad. And so um, when it comes out of a bow, especially on a fast hunting bow, um, you're going to lay that vein over and not get that height. You know, it's not going to stay stiff in that. Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tecovis store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovis.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots as well as free returns and exchanges and ship right to your door. Go to tecovis.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. Airstream. And that's why, like, all the crossbow veins are super stiff. they got to retain their height in those high speeds. And similar to your hunting arrow, I think a hybrid arrow for me is awesome for 3D. If I had a shorter draw, I don't know where the threshold is, but, like, 26-ish, you might get away with that vein. There, there is a threshold of speed and size of broadhead that you're shooting that you'll get away with it. But in my experience, you're not saving enough weight for it to matter. You know, you're saving like three grains an arrow, three to five grains an arrow on those hybrids, I think. And it's not worth uh, pushing the limits. And that, that's just my personal, but that goes back to like, I want my arrow bulletproof. I want it to be, I want it to oversteer. I want it to be more vain than my broadhead needs because of all the variables that happen. So like for me, I'll take the three grains, I'm shooting fast enough, and I'll make sure that that thing's staying rigid in the air. Mm. Um, the, the other vein you mentioned, I got to look it up because I don't, uh, 
It's basically looks like a blazer to me. It's AEE HP, and I sell them with my logo on them, and I've tinkered with them, and they steer a broadhead very proper. Do they have the the ridges like a stealth in it built in? I don't think so. Flat. It's flat. Yeah, I mean heights heights number one, and especially yep. on this, if this is truly the height of a blazer and it's, it's hybrid, yeah. Um, it it might bend over like the other hybrids, but it's so tall. It's 0.58. It's 80 thousands higher than a stealth that it might not bend over enough to get under that boundary layer. I bet you you're still up in the boundary layer. So I would guess I've never tried them. I would guess they steer pretty good though. Yeah. No, we've in our testing they're they're pretty awesome. That's why we decided to to utilize them and um, we do sell those. Okay. I guess we better get into the new lineup. And then I do want to save a little bit of space because I want to tell you while I got your ear, I'm going to bend that sucker and say, Hey, Mark Hayes, here's a couple things that Elk Shape uh, would love to see in a bow for future. And you can just ignore it or maybe we'll plant the seed, but all right, let's talk about the two flagship bows. Let's just go right to it. And I'm going to, I'm going to try to play devil's advocate as much as possible because I did go I do go to a couple forums every once in a while to read about how people don't like me. And I also read about Matthew's bows. Um, the internet's mean, man. They're mean. And you got to have thick skin, which I do, fortunately. Thank God. Um, phase four, 29 and 33, same, same ATAs as last year. Some people are going to be stoked, myself included. Some people are going to be like, I wish it was longer or... I don't think they're going to say, I wish it was shorter, but I wish it was like 32 or 34. Um, and then the name phase four, is it, this is the, de the debate we were having. Is it phase four or is it like the four limbs? I guess you'll have to tell us the name first and foremost. What's the name mean? Yeah. So sometimes an artist doesn't even know what their art means is what I'll say. <laughs> but, um, there's multiple things that led to that. And the main thing is our flagship technology this year is called resistance phase damping, RPD. Um, what that means is our bows have had four limbs um, for the last few years. And this year they have eight, literally eight limbs. Um, and I have an example here. This is our new limb. This is a prototype version of it, but um, it's two thin uh, limbs separated by a special proprietary elastomer uh, that goes right in between these limbs. And so each pair um, gets separated by this gasket and assembled like that. And so these are, um, they're made to resist, just like the name implies, resist the, the frequencies that these vibrate. If you look at a bow in high speed video, you know, when the when the arrow, as soon as the arrow leaves the bow, those limbs take most of the vibration. And there's a lot of fast waving, high frequency waving. And then what that does is obviously go on the riser, but then because they're all they're different and these two limbs are fighting, the cam will go womp, 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 like this. Um doesn't affect accuracy because the arrow has left, but it affects how it feels and how it sounds. And what this does is takes those differences, the tiny little, you can't even see them, but the, each one of these limbs vibrates at a different frequency. 
and that uh, proprietary uh, piece that we have in there will fight that and resist that. And so what you get, what it, what it, why it matters is that when you shoot this bow, instead of the limbs doing a bunch of this, it's dead. And that doesn't translate to the cam. That cam just boom, stays straight. Um, and so there's less vibration getting to the riser. But more importantly, this is going to affect the sound of the bow more than anything we've done in the past. Um, this is an incredible technology, something Matt has had an idea for for quite a while, but just finding the right uh, platform to put it on. And, you know, you mentioned the axle axles are the same. That's because that platform accepted this so well. Um, we were getting crazy numbers out of it, and we just too good to ignore. So um, that is the decision there. We've had good feedback on those sizes, plus this worked amazing on it. And so um, that's where that uh, came from. And, you know, there's there's four pairs of these resistance-based damping, and um, we've also been working for quite a while on improvements. So that's kind of where the name uh, might have come from, but in reality, it's the it's the team. Just what is this bill called, and everyone kind of coming to agreement on that. So, all right. So real talk, bud. I edit a lot of videos, and there was a point at some point last year where I didn't notice it, but on you, I think it might have been on YouTube or uh, social media. People are like, "Dude, your bow's loud." I didn't really notice it, and then I started like listening. I was like, "Yeah, I guess my my V3X 29, I think was, I think it was loud." I'm gonna shoot you straight, and I know that because anytime I edited after that point, I would literally go in and pin down the decibels when my bow went off, so that I wouldn't have to hear commentary. And then we built this bow. I got the 29, and the first thing we all noticed was the RPD, and uh, we were all like, okay, once we got it ready to go, first shot through paper, we were in a sound room where we're, the audio is very much like you're going to know, and then I shot the V3X29, which I, I will say is my favorite bow you've made since the Verdicts, and I'm not, I haven't been with Matthews for decades, man, so... The Verdicts was the first bow I ever really fell in love with you guys and loved that bow. And then this 29 comes along. I've probably had the most confidence with that bow. Um, how do you say this without sounding like a jerk? I, if I'm in bow range of a target animal with the 29, there's a high probability it's going to hit the dirt. That's how confident I was with this bow. And I don't know if I've ever been any more confident than that. And now you've made the exact duplicate, but you've made it significantly quieter. I mean, our testing just on our mics and our peaks, insane. And I know that's going to, that's a hard thing to, that's Caleb and Derek's job. How do you let people know this is significantly quieter, which is a huge advantage for bow hunting? Yeah, that's actually a perfect segue to how we've been thinking about it and where I'm going next for another technology, because you know, what you just did, your your test is kind of what we're trying to test in our lab now. We usually, in past, have tested bare bow to bare bow. And so a bare V3X versus a bare phase four, it's about eight to 9% quieter, which is 
awesome. It's very quiet. Um, you can notice that. Um, however, it's not a huge number. It's not, it's not something that's going to catch someone on a, on a page. What's crazy is when you test it on a fully set up bow. And because our accessory line has gotten so vast that we can build um, an entire bow with our accessories that are built specifically for this platform, we're now able to do a really good apples to apples test of like a fully set up bow versus fully set up bow. And that's where the numbers kind of jump off the screen. It's it's 13% quieter. Like this, this is a bow that we had. It's 13% quieter. It's 36% less vibration. Um, and the vibration, and this is going to be a segue to the next technology, is mainly from the bridge lock stabilizers. Um, you mentioned that your bow last year was loud. Um, that's not something that we have not heard. However, it is weird because my bow is quiet, you know, um, but I have different energy. I have different draw length. I have different poundage. I have a different sight. You know, I, my arrows are a certain weight. So all those factors matter. And that is where um, I kind of want to touch on with the bridge lock stabilizer. It's a brand new idea of stabilizers. You can connect it in a brand new way. You can tune it harmonically and you can stow it away. And so I kind of want to show some of that. This is my bow. Um, these are the brand new um, bridge lock stabilizers. You notice that we are not using the traditional stud mount here anymore. The problem with traditional stabilizers is you pay a lot of money for a really nice piece of carbon. It's very light and very stiff, but you have to connect that into a threaded uh, adapter. And so to get there, you have to use epoxy glues. You have to use an aluminum, heavy aluminum piece, and then you got to take a steel stud, pretty small overall, and screw that into a little tiny hole. All that to say, you're losing stiffness, your balance point, everything that makes a stabilizer good. A stabilizer should be infinitely light and infinitely stiff. That's impossible to make up, obviously, but as close as you can get to those numbers, that makes the best stabilizer. Well, you're doing exactly the opposite just to get it connected to the bow. The bridge lock, similar to our bridge lock site, goes right into the bow. It slides in and uses a star nut, quick disconnect to attach it. And so now all you have is bar straight into the fixture of the strong riser. So you get a stiffer connection, it's lighter, and it's got a better balance point, almost an inch better balance point. And we did all that with an aluminum bar. So, we are stiffer, lighter, and better balance point than any carbon stabilizer on the market, and we did it with aluminum. And it's something that is going to change the way people think about stabilizers. There's never been one that way ever. Um, but I, I said it does three things. It connects just like this, but it also tunes. So your bow is different than mine. We just talked about that. You might want to run your bar a half inch back or maybe an inch back. Maybe that vibration is going to be better for you or, or maybe adding weights or whatever. But you've never been able to actually tune the length for your um, harmonics, your specific harmonics on your bow. And this will allow you to do that. Additionally, this is something we're super excited about. When you go on a hunt and you got to pack it away, what do you usually do with your stabilizer? You've got to find a spot to put them and they're heavy and you don't want them to bang into stuff. You just stow this thing away. You clamp it back down. It's not going anywhere. And so 
it can live right here as you travel. When you get to wherever you're going, you pull it out to your notch and you connect it and go. And so brand new idea. Brand new idea for sure. And uh, something that I think is going to bring real benefits to um, to everyone's specific setup. Yeah, I would say the first thing I noticed was how light it was. <clears throat> uh, you know, historically, most stabilizers are made out of carbon and they have some sort of dampening system. But I've never had anyone articulate it to where you're like, you did all this stuff, but eventually there's epoxy and aluminum thread involved. It makes me laugh because I've never thought it in those simple of terms, but you're right. That is significant. Um, controlling that balance point and having a say for part of your tune I mean, you change one thing, you change everything when it comes to archery. I understand that. Uh, and then on the backside there, you can still run the back bar system. Um, we built the bow and filmed it. And then yesterday I got the little piece. Um, I don't know if Shrewd still makes those for you guys or who, but I put that on. It was, so, it was super straightforward, self-explanatory. And then I went and shot. And... I found the sweet spot. So like, I'm already stoked, man. Like, like you basically have my favorite bow with improvements, more streamlined and it's quieter. So, I mean, what else could you ask for? Did you, is there anything else that we need to note when it comes to the biggest changes? I mean, obviously you're the engineer. Is there anything else that we need to hammer? I think, you know, the numbers that we're seeing are so significant that, you know, in years past, we're just fighting for, you know, as a little bit better, a little bit better. This is, this feels like, and the numbers prove that it's a big enough jump this year that people will notice. The people standing next to you when you shoot are going to notice, and you're going to notice um, as you shoot the bow. You know, I've shot um, three deer now with this bow, and I cannot, this is a new thing for me, but I cannot remember the bow going off. Like, it, it, it just goes off and there's nothing and one time was in a blind and it's like a blind usually amplifies <laughs> sound, yeah it's just like it doesn't this year and um you know something i would i do not want to miss this this is very significant also on the stabilizer we have a brand new weight system this is called um it, the interlink weights and so traditionally um a problem with stabilizers is you're limited to stud length as long of a stud as you can as you can get is as many weights as you can get, and you're limited by that. And if you're not running that many weights, you have this big, long, heavy stud that you don't need. So our brand new interlink weights, they, as the name implies, they interlink. They just snap on top of each other, and you can just – I can't say infinite because legally, but you can go as far as – farther than you want. And all that happens is you have a little set screw right here. You pop it off, you can put more weights on, and then you put your new head on, and you notice they're, they're loose here. One turn of this set screw will tighten this whole thing tighter than even your hand can get a regular one. So just like that, you have a completely stiff, and I just added three weights without unscrewing a big, long stud. Yep, and uh, the back bar that I'm running <clears throat> is a little bit longer than I usually do. I don't notice it. It's not in my way. It seems to be just perfectly streamlined uh, to where I like it. What do you typically run on your setups with Matthew? So give an example. Um, historically, the last couple of rigs, I've had <clears throat> maybe only one or two ounces up front with um, a 10-degree drop, 
somewhere between 12 and 15 inches in the front. And then in the back, I've been running eight to 10 inches, but with like eight, nine ounces in the back. Obviously, it's personal preference or whatever, but what have you been doing? Yeah, so I I shoot tournaments, obviously. So in my tournament bow, I traditionally have a 30-inch bar, three ounces in the front, nine ounces in the back. And so that's kind of like my tournament rig, as steady as I want to be. That's what I'm running. In a hunting situation, traditionally, I've been only running two ounces up front, no back bar. Um, I usually don't like dragging a back bar uh, through. And when I do run a back bar, even on my target bow, I run it as tight to the string as possible because I do not have the common people need it way out. For whatever reason, my muscular structure, my bones, I don't have that problem. I actually tip it the other way traditionally. So um, I like to tuck that so close. Now, with the new system um, and being able to tune harmonically, I could not ignore the sound and vibration benefits of adding a back bar this year. I tried it on it. And it's just like for my setup, my energy, my sight, my arrows, all that stuff, adding a back bar with two ounces on the back harmonically was unbelievable. Like I said, it's the quietest, most vibration-free bow. I do not feel a bow going off. And it's just, it was such a big jump that this year I am dragging a back bar through, but it was mainly because of the harmonics. Um, and the balance of the bow for me, um, you know, my hunting bow is a utility. Um, it might, I, I would err on the side of being harder to aim, but um, having to concentrate more on that shot. Um, but now because it's closer to my tournament rig, um, it's a lot more fun to shoot. It, it sits where I need it to be. It feels more like that tournament rig. So I am, I'm learning to love that back bar on my hunting bow. It hasn't gotten in the way this year, thankfully. So it might be a new thing for me, but my motivation this year was harmonics and vibration. It was too good to ignore. I love it. Uh, specs wise, 33, 29 brace heights, six inch six and a half on the 33 uh draw length ranges on the 29 is 25 and a half to 30 and then on the phase four 33 the draw lengths are from 27 to 31 and a half that's kind of your and then the new granite finish from last year is still an option ambush green etc etc go to the website build your own bow it's a great feature are you ready to talk about my wish list for your future engineering efforts I'm ready to listen, but I get to give you the spiel. I have to give everyone. Okay, give me the spiel first because I, I deserve it. Love it. Okay. <clears throat> okay. I have a 27 inch draw length and, um, I'm strong and I want to be able to guess, pull more weight. Um, so do, 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 just cut me out some mods that, uh, maybe are 80 or even 85. Uh, we'll slap those on. 
And I bet you there's a lot of people that wouldn't mind adding those mods. And obviously, I got to give you guys credit. There's people listening that don't understand this right now. Like, with your guys' technology, I can grab my bow. I can say, hey, Mrs. Elkshape, you want to shoot this? Let me set it up for you real quick. Without a bow press, a couple of Allens, and I can put in mods that suit her draw weight, draw length, and let off of her choice, which is incredible for me. Let me just say, too, um, not only is it her draw length and her draw weight, but it's the best draw force curve that she could possibly have. Um, you know, there are rotating mods in the industry. We don't do that on purpose. We want to get the most efficiency and energy out of the bow at every single draw length and every single draw weight. And that's why Matthews does mods. I know it's more mods to, to handle, to have, but the, the archer gets the benefit there. So It does. And I do. It's so clutch for me. If I'm going to go late season here, I'm not wanting to pull back 75 or maybe you'll make me an 85 pound one in a tree stand when I'm frozen and adrenaline spikes, I would have that thing at 60 pounds, which is suffice. Uh, that's plenty. But, uh, so that was one thing. And then maybe if you, if you said no to me, then I would say, okay, how about 75, but maybe 75 pound mods with maybe 75% let off. What do you say to that? So I, I will say I'm a big fan of high or uh, lower let off. I like high holding weight. Uh, it is always more accurate, um, especially when you get it down. If your holding weight is close to the physical weight of your bow, that's a trouble area. Um, that means you can, can manipulate your bow more than you can hold. And so that is why the majority of target shooters are holding a lot of weight. I, I shoot 80% let off on my bows because um, – I can hold it better. You know, it's, it's harder to hold back, but it's more stable. And so I am a fan of the 75s. Uh, we used to have them on our hunting bow. The, they get jumpy is the problem. And so um, the 80 was kind of that compromise of higher holding weight. Um, and, and especially you got to think too, it, you know, if you're shooting 75 pounds or even shooting 80 pounds, an 80% let off is a considerable holding weight. Uh, you're, you're close to 20 pounds there. So um, it's 80 should get you where um, about to where we are comfortable making. Uh, it's not to say we can't make 75s, uh, but in a switch weight mod system, it's a lot of mods, obviously. It's the whole realm. Again, you got to do every single one. So uh, every draw weight and every draw length. But um, back to your 80 pounder, we, we do get that. Um, and there's limitations on uh, strength of materials and draw force curves. Like we will not compromise on draw force curves. Um, so there's limitations of what we can do. What I will say though, is all of our boats ship out a little heavy. And so um, and our theory is if a guy, get orders of 70 he definitely doesn't want a 69 but he might be okay with a 71 and so we are you know always plus that number so 75 should make about 77 78 pounds and um one thing i've told people in the past we've had people build heavier ones the axle to axle and the rotation are super important for the performance of the bow however if you keep the rotation correct and you say you go like three three and three in each cable and then in the string, it'll bring that axle to axle and linearly without messing with your rotation. 
and you will quickly get some poundage out of that. So if you want to Frankenstein one a little bit that way and pull that in about an eighth of an inch on the axle to axle, you'll go up in a couple pounds and you will definitely get it to 80, um, if not a little bit more. But um, the bow will perform the best at the specs. Uh, but um, if you're just, nope, I'm 27 inches. I need to get as much energy as possible. Um, I need to shoot 80. Yeah, just bring that axle to axle and linearly. Don't mess with that rotation. Yeah, we did that last year. <clears throat> we twisted it just a little bit, got it to 78. And that's what I. That's where it's still at. And we'll mess with it. Um, but I just planting seeds, dog. That's all I'm doing, just planting seeds. Um, I do like the fact that Matthews has the sick warranty where basically, I don't know what the machines are called, but I've toured your facility and you got like, there's not a part you haven't made that you could still make today. And I know for a fact, there's a lot of manufacturers that can't say that. How cool is that? Yeah, it's a ton of work on our end, but it's <laughs> a promise that Matt made when he started the company. And it's the promise that we take seriously and we keep. So yeah, we have every fixture to cut every single part that we've ever made. And so if you're the original owner of an MQ1 and you need a new cam, we got it for you. Mm, that's cool. Well, man, I've taken up plenty of your time i do got to go back and ask you one question so what was the total arrow weight that you uh, used this year 395 oh man that's a little lighter than i thought you were gonna say that's cool i'm friends with the guy who preaches the heavy heavy stuff down there in texas like most people think we don't like each other but we're actually very like he'll text me periodically or whatever and my total arrow weight was 442 this year total weight and there wasn't anything I didn't shoot through and I do like the trajectory and trajectory is so important to me and that was your like your main thing you said was like hey 60 yard shot that I thought was 50 and all my trajectory saved my bacon and for me I'm already at a disadvantage having being just short and short draw length and um given the terrain topography and the animal the species I do think you need to take into consideration like trajectory not only on your <clears throat> your first shot which is the most important shot mark bow hunting's not perfect and sometimes that follow-up shot may or make or break you and if you got something that's gonna arc and go really high you're gonna hit stuff you might you know what i mean so um there's something to consider i know we could talk an entire yeah. hour on this but give me some nuts and some meat and potato of, let of me just logic. hit one thing there yeah yeah let me hit one thing because it's important um the reason I, um, so efficiency from, from an engineering standpoint, efficiency is king. We do not launch a bow that is not efficient. And I will, I will go out on a limb here. I don't think it's too far of a limb because we've tested everything, but Matthews has the most efficient bows, um, on the market. And that's tested at a 350 grain arrow, five grains per pound. Um, you can make any bow efficient. You just have to shoot a heavier, heavy enough arrow. So you can make a long bow efficient, but a long bow is like, if you shoot a 350 grain arrow, it could be less than 50% efficient. And a lot of those tests were done with recurves and long bows. And so I would agree, as you shoot a heavier arrow, your energy increases because your bow got more efficient. Matthew's bow is different. Modern compound bows in general, but especially Matthew's, it comes out of the bow at 87.5% efficiency on a 350 grain arrow and so when you go to a 700 grain arrow the gain in energy is like four percent and you lost 30 percent of your trajectory and so that difference is not worth it 
it does not equate anymore and energy is king when you pull the bow back your bow is a constant energy device you pull it back you let it go same energy it doesn't matter if it's a lighter or a heavier the only difference is the increase in efficiency and because of matthews is built to be efficient with a light arrow and it only gets better with a heavy arrow the difference instead of the graph being from bottom to top like this the graph is flattened and so especially with the matthews but i will say most modern compound bows a heavy arrow is not going to give you the benefit that you wish it does all it does is just steal speed um and we feel super passionate about it we Shooting a, that heavy of an arrow, unless you're trying to just make the quietest bow possible, you are um, making the bow worse. You're not perform. You're not helping that bow perform like it was designed. And so that is why I shoot such a light arrow. We've done a ton of penetration tests and all that stuff. We can get into that uh, for an hour, like you said. But at the end of the day, it's because the bows are built efficient with a light arrow, and they do get better as you go heavy. But the the gain nowadays versus what it was 10, 15, 30 years ago is not what you are, what you're seeing now. Well said. I think diminishing returns is something to consider when you are shooting a Matthews bow. If you are shooting a different manufacturer, um, you, you might need to reconsider. And I, I, I love Troy and I think he's a great resource for helping people simplify and <clears throat> minimize or mitigate things that could be nightmarish in the mountains or actually out of the tree stand or whatever. But, uh, I guess I'm trying to be like Switzerland right now and stay neutral and say like, Hey, do you, but at, at the end of the day, most of the people in my small badassery circle, they, they don't shoot really heavy arrows. Um, but I think you guys listening have to do what gives you the most confidence and tinker, test it, ABT, always be tinkering. And that's not to just being, just always be looking to change stuff. It's just go out and test and find out what is your best. That's what I mean. I think that's what you mean. Yeah, definitely. Confidence is king. You said that earlier. Well, appreciate your time. I know you got a busy week ahead of you. I just want to give a shout out to Derek and Caleb. Um, those are kind of the marketing bros at Matthews. These guys have done a great job year after year of continually having, in my opinion, the cleanest brand out there. Just nice, clean. And then Matt McPherson with his values, his values. I'm talking faith values is what really has drawn me to Matthews. And then just the team. Um I'm just so incredibly proud to be associated with you guys, Mark. Please continue to kick like kick butt and keep up the hard work, man. Thank you, Dan. Appreciate it. You too. Awesome. Guys, separation is in the preparation. We'll catch you on the next one. Elk Shape Camps 2023. What goes on at Elk Shape Camp? A lot of stuff. But basically, I can distill it down to this. We're going to sniff out your weaknesses write you up a blueprint to tackle them head on and make sure that you're consistently getting into elk. You're consistently training and eating clean year round. You're disciplined and dialed at home, at your job or employment, and that you're making disciplined decisions that are going to lead to more success in life and in the mountains. Phoenix, Arizona, January 20th through the 22nd at Wilderness Athlete HQ, March 3rd through the 5th in Stonewall, Texas, right next to NUMA HQ. 
Julian Ranch, California, March 31st through April 2nd. This is in SoCal, right outside of San Diego. Plus, we are going to do our inaugural women's only elk shape camp on March 30th. Gals, you are invited. It's a women's only event on the 30th, and then you'll jump right into the rest of the camp. We also have couple discounts. Make sure to shoot us an email if you want to know about that. Vortex Edge in Wisconsin, April 14th through the 16th. We came here last year. It's such an amazing facility. It's so easy to put on a camp there. We can't wait to meet more Wisconsin or Midwest folks. And last but not least is a two-day intensive camp for elite Onyx members only in Green Acres, Washington, June 17th through the 18th. Early bird prices go until October 31st. Regular prices kick in November 1st and late registration starts January 1st, 2023. We hope to meet you at an elk shape camp near you-ish. And we have military discounts regardless if you're currently serving or have served in the past. Email us to inquire within.